Radio.io. It's gone mobile. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. This episode is being recorded on August 28th, 2014. For this episode, we're joined by Doug Thompson, editor of Beacon.net, so we can dig into one of my, my personal favorite topics, actually, which is iBeacons. Thanks for joining us tonight, Doug. My pleasure. Glad to be here. And like, yeah, like I said, this is one of my personal favorite topics. I think it's super interesting. And I mean, iBeacons were introduced um, by Apple back when iOS 7 rolled out, but they were introduced with pretty much very little fanfare for a long time. There was very little information available about it. Um, but over time, a lot more has come out and they've become uh, a really interesting technology that we want to dig into. And you seemed, uh, you're obviously a, a very well-qualified person to do that. Thank you. So let's, let's kick things off with uh, the very basics kind of before we dive into the weeds a little more. You know, what, what are iBeacons? It's interesting because when Apple uh, launched iBeacon last year at the developers conference, so that was uh, last a year ago, June, all it was was a single word on a single slide. And there were a couple of workshops that happened after. And without much fanfare, without much communication other than posting the um, SDK, without you know posting some of the programming uh, information on their developer portal, um, people started picking up on the potential of iBeacon. But I think the thing that's perhaps most interesting is that the term iBeacon became the umbrella term, kind of like when you talk about photocopying, you say, I'm going to Xerox this sheet, even if you're not using a Xerox photocopier. <laughs> iBeacon became the term that people use to talk about devices that broadcast a signal, but the signal that they broadcast is actually Bluetooth signal. And so iBeacon is Apple's particular um, method or their particular preferences for how a Bluetooth low energy device broadcasts what's called a proximity profile. And it's been amazing to see that even with such little promotion around iBeacon that Developers started to play around with the technology. Devices started to be released. And we've seen some really amazing early use cases. And I think we're seeing the beginning. We call beacons the internet drug of the internet of everything. And as the, sorry, the gateway drug to the internet of everything. And it's a gateway drug because it's actually one technology amongst many that are allowing our phones to know where they are in the world, to know what they're close to, whether it's the door of your local coffee shop or it's your dog who's wearing a beacon. Um, beacons allow our phones to see. And iBeacon, which has become Apple's kind of term for Bluetooth LE devices and their particular specs, um, I think is we're at the very beginning of a, of a giant wave and beacons are part of that larger wave of the internet of things. So you mentioned that this is all built on top of uh, Bluetooth low energy. How does that differ from the, the standard Bluetooth that we've had for, for many years before that? <laughs> you mean those little things that you see, like you people walking around with the thing in there. All ear. the really cool people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The really cool people. 
Yeah. So standard Bluetooth is um, battery intensive. That's the first thing I would say. Bluetooth Low Energy was designed to be a specification that's different from completely different from standard Bluetooth. So it, it carries the Bluetooth name, but it's a completely different standard. And it was designed to allow the creation of devices with very narrow, very low intensity uh, use cases. So under the Bluetooth Low Energy specification, and it has what's called a it calls has a GAT profile and an ATT profile, and you could build profiles on top of those on top of the standard. So a profile, for example, can be man, man, monitoring your heart rate. So when you hear about like Fitbit, it's using, you know, it can be using devices that measure your heart rate can be using Bluetooth low energy uh, specifications specifically designed for monitoring your heart rate. Beacons is a profile built on top of Bluetooth low energy that is a pro called a proximity profile. And that profile, what it does is it says, okay, this device is going to broadcast a signal. Here's what that signal will contain. And here's how you should interpret that signal. So Bluetooth low energy was designed to be, well, low energy, um, allow for kind of narrow use cases, and by being so specific, could also become very powerful. So do beacons, uh, like that profile, does it do anything besides just judge uh, and, and figure out proximity of devices? Is it passing data back and forth? Or how exactly does that proximity profile work? Sure. Actually, great question. Uh, Beacons broadcast what's called an advertising uh, packet and advertising, not like as in ads that you see on TV, but the broadcast signal. And if you think of a lighthouse or you think of a buoy in the ocean, it's very similar to that. All it's doing is broadcasting. It doesn't receive any data from the device. Like it doesn't receive data from your phone. It doesn't collect anything. It doesn't send out coupons or it doesn't send out web pages. All it's doing is sending out a tiny little signal that says, I'm here. This is my ID number. Uh, this is my power setting. A couple of other little pieces of data. Um, and based on that data, your phone can interpret the data and say, oh, that beacon's about, I don't know, 10 meters away. That beacon's about 100 meters away. And then, you're, and then you program your phone to make a decision of what to do now that it's detected that beacon. So you mentioned the range of proximity. What kind of ranges uh, is our beacons capable of? Like 100 meters, you said. Is it capable of something farther than that, too? Yeah, the, the st I guess there's kind of standard beacons. The first, I'll call them first-generation beacons. Most of them were battery-powered. Um, the... Rate limiter, what I would call the rate limiter for a beacon is if you broadcast it for long distances, you could use up the battery more quickly. So most of the first generation beacons were programmed, configured in a way that they would reach usually 60 to 100 meters is sort of the longest. But we've seen some second generation beacons. We've been playing around with some that reach 400, 500 meters. So you can imagine a beacon, let's say, at a football stadium, put one of them in the parking lot, and it could pretty much cover the whole parking lot. And then I arrive at the parking lot, and my app maybe opens up, and I can pay for my parking on my app or get a welcome message to the stadium. So you could set a beacon. You could set the beacon's power level, basically, 
to re, to be short range. Like I really only want this beacon to work if you if you're 20 meters away, or a couple of really high powered beacons can reach, you know, four to 400 to 500 meters. So you're mentioning like, you know, the idea of knowing that the iBeacon is in range at all, and that's an interesting thing to do, but also uh, the idea of how close you are in proximity to the beacon. So what kind of accuracy are we seeing in determining how close you are to one of these beacons? Uh, It depends on what's called the advertising interval. I don't want to get too geeky technical, but it depends on the advertising interval, meaning I can broadcast a signal once every couple seconds, right, and preserve the battery power, or I can beam out my signal like a really high frequency, and then my phone will detect it faster. And that can have a direct bearing on how fuzzy the range is from something that's plus or minus 20% to something that's quite precise, and it really depends how you configure how you configure the beacon. So it's kind of what's interesting. It's challenging for developers because you're used to developing apps and figuring out what happens on the phone. Now all of a sudden you have a whole new challenge because you've got to figure out these little devices. How do I configure them? Where do I put them? If I'm in a busy coffee shop, do I need to worry about signal interference? Um, so something that's simple and have complexity in creating really great user experiences. Is there anything in the uh, the advertising packet that you mentioned that says what, what its power level is or what its uh, frequency of transmission is? Or is it up to the device that's receiving it to, to wait for a few of the packets to come in and then measure, that, uh, measure it based on that? Yeah, no, that data is contained in the packet. Um, yeah, the data is contained in the packet so that the phone doesn't need to do a lot of interpretation. So then, I mean, traditionally, we've had other ways of doing different types of uh, location access um, as app developers. So, you know, there's GPS or there's NFC and, and things like that. Um, how do iBeacons compare to those technologies? And what are some, maybe some of the, the advantages and disadvantages of, of beacons over those? Yeah, really great question. Two two big answers, and they're both they sound contradictory. The first is completely complementary. You know, beacons fill a range of they fill out the range of things that you could do with location and proximity. Okay, so GPS is location based. Where am I on a map? Right? It's detecting your GPS, it's detecting your coordinates on a map. When I go inside to, let's say, a mall if or a building with any, anywhere that you go inside, the GPS starts getting really fuzzy. And so beacons uh, work it well indoors because there's no, you don't need to talk to a G, you don't need to talk to a satellite to find out where you are on a map. But beacons are not a location technology. They're a proximity technology. And when you really think about what that means, um, it means that if I have a store, I could map out my store. But what I really care about is whether the customer is next to the cookie aisle. So I can move the beacon around and not have to remap anything. The important thing is that the beacon represents cookies, right? Or it represents the pop aisle, or it represents the front door of a store. What that also means is that beacons can move, and I can still be detecting uh, a beacon, even though the beacon is moving. So in theory, I could put a beacon in a car 
I could put a beacon on a briefcase and if I, or I've seen, we've seen beacons that you put on a purse and you leave your purse on the counter at a store and your app says, oh, you're walking away from your purse. You know, you better go back and get it. Um, so the other thing about beacons, so on the one hand, they, sup, they, they supplement location technology. Uh, they supplement NFC. But the other thing is that it's passive. Think of QR codes. QR codes were kind of cool because it turned something physical into something that I could digitally interact with. But I actually have to hold my phone up and find the stupid QR code scanner, click a button, right, click, scan it. And that, that's fine, but not everybody wants to take their phone out of their pocket to do that. So with beacons, it's passive. I don't have to do anything as a user for an app to, de- to detect a beacon and for an action to take place because a beacon was detected. Right. It's funny that you mentioned the the briefcase example before. I I took a trip a couple months ago and I had the bright idea of, I was like, oh, well, I'll attach a, a beacon to my luggage and then I'll know when it's going to show up on the, the baggage carousel. So I don't need to be crowding with everyone else and kind of waiting for it to come up. Right. Um, and then <laughs> I was disappointed. Like I was, well, for a while I was worried that my bag just didn't make it to Italy with me. Um, and then it turns out that the beacon, the airline had like snapped the beacon off and it just wasn't there anymore. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was a clever idea nonetheless, but it didn't quite work out as planned. So there's right. still physical world problems to deal with too. <laughs> yes, there are. Yes. I saw the craziest, uh, it was, a. Uh, I I was at a kind of hackathon. It was a demo day of people, uh, an internet of things. And I saw the craziest suitcase that had, beacons it had a weight detection it had security cameras built in <laughs> so that and i just thought i can't see that getting through security you know <laughs> tsa's I mean? best friend right there yeah <laughs> like hidden cameras in your luggage that's pretty crazy that's not suspicious at all <laughs> yeah so beacons i, I mean beacons are uh, i think that and one of the reasons that you hear a lot about beacons in retail is and I, I think retail is easy to understand, but I think it's just one of many many use cases for beacons. Um, one of the things that get re- gets retailers excited is, well, hold on, if 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 I can have an app or I already have an app, but I can't get people to remember to open the app up. If a beacon can send a message when I'm close to the cookie aisle then maybe I can um, get my customers to open an app because I've given them something contextually interesting. And that's, I think, why you hear about so many retailers starting to experiment with beacons and and see if it's going to add value to their customer experience. So I think that gives us a, a good jumping off point to talk about maybe the, deve- at least at a high level, the developer side of things. So then you mentioned that this is really good as a, it's a very passive way of, of bringing information to the, to the customer, to the user. So as a developer, does this mean that my app doesn't necessarily need to be running in order to receive these proximity alerts and react to them? Yeah, for um, current, yes, currently what's nice about Beacons is that your app doesn't even need to be open. Uh, when, when iBeacon was first released, uh, in iOS 7, your, the app needed to at least be in your background tray in order for it to, to, to detect. And it, it made sense, you know, it kind of made sense at the time that Apple 
wanted to maybe give the users some control over how many apps were scanning for beacons. Then they made the decision that, you know, would you, you don't remember to keep all your, to keep your app. I don't remember if I'm going to Walmart to have my Walmart app open. So why don't we allow it to detect beacons, even if the app is closed in iOS eight, Apple's providing a couple of extra controls to consumers so that rather than, um, so that they can make decisions such as only allow this app to scan for beacons when I'm in the actual store. So they give a little bit of choice back to the consumer. And um, so this means that, yeah, it makes it, it means that your apps, as long as your Bluetooth is on, you can be detecting beacons even if the app is closed. So we've talked a lot about Apple and iBeacon and iOS. Um, now, what's the story like on other platforms? Can we use beacons in Android? I mean, it's all Bluetooth Low Energy, so in theory, yes, right? Yes. Um, Bluetooth Low Energy has been baked into almost all the major phones. We understand even that the new Amazon Fire has Bluetooth LE in it. Um, the, the, rate, the challenge with Android is adoption of KitKat. And updating, I mean, you, we know how fragmented <laughs> Android can be, right? <laughs> All so well. you can kind of like hack around that by getting right down to the right, you know, right below the operating system level. But really for a developer, you're going to, you're waiting for people to update to KitKat or higher. So in KitKat, what's the developer experience like? Is it like Apple where your app doesn't have to be running and you can start receiving beacon notifications uh, on Android apps? Yeah, I think the the Android libraries are less robust. There's less documentation. Uh, we actually look to outside uh, companies that have done some really pretty amazing work around Android. So some of the beacon manufacturers have released Android libraries. There's a company out of Washington called Radius Networks. They have some really powerful Android development tools and have created an open source um, beacon specification called Alt Beacon which is a sort of a cousin to Apple's iBeacon specification um, and is designed to work with work well as an Android specific, as an Android specification for the beacon device. And then they have matching developer tools for the user experience. So their stack, I mean, does it, is it compatible with Apple's? Like if you had an iBeacon that worked on iOS, is that compatible then with Android devices using like radius networks tools? Yes, yes, yes. And I noticed uh, recently that Apple may have, maybe has been giving them a bit of trouble. Uh, can you go into detail <laughs> on, on what that's going, uh, happening? Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit murky. I, I don't have any inside knowledge. I could just to kind of give you my impression. Um, Apple, when they first launched iBeacon, it was basically a trademark. It was a name they were using to describe it device that an Apple phone could detect. Then they released an iBeacon specification and it was their criteria. If you had, if you were creating beacons and you wanted to call it an iBeacon, you had to meet their criteria, which was kept deep, you know, guarded and secret and under NDA and confidential. And, but basically what we know about it is that Apple said, okay, well, if you're going to call it an iBeacon, you have to advertise at a certain interval you have to include certain data in your packet, um, and then you, you're allowed to call yourself an iBeacon. 
So then what started happening was that people started developing different libraries to detect Apple's iBeacon. And even though they were Android libraries, they were saying, this is an Android library that is compatible with iBeacon. And our sense is that Apple started to make, uh, let's just say, started to indicate that they would prefer that you not associate Android with the iBeacon name. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. So does it boil down to basically as long as you don't use the term iBeacon, you can kind of carry on as is? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you're protected if Apple starts to get really mean about it. You're protected by using a specification that's not the same as the Apple specification. So the the Apple specification that you're talking about, is that something that's publicly available? Or I remember seeing a blog post a while ago from Radius Networks who you mentioned, and it, it seemed like they had to do a whole bunch of reverse engineering work to kind of figure out what an iBeacon even was so that they can create it for Android. Is that still the case or is it still private? It's still private, but as you say, people have reverse engineered iBeacons and made some guesses. Yeah. And then the the AltBeacon um, specification that you mentioned is actually something I find uh, really interesting as well. Um, like, Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So, okay. So, Again, we're not talking about the phone right now. Like we're not talking about the programming. We're talking about the actual physical devices. Mm-hmm. Those are the so the things you stick to the wall. And even though the Bluetooth spec is really simple, um, because you're saying I'm going to broadcast a power interval and an advertising interval, it's pretty simple. But there's a lot of stuff that you can actually do in the firmware to create those intervals and to do things like um, extend battery life, for example, by toggling the beacon settings at different times of the day. So we've heard of beacons that kind of know that at night people aren't, you know, you're not in a store in the middle of the night, so we'll kind of power it down. Um, so the I think the concept with Alt Beacon is to say, look, if we could if we could be configuring our beacon devices using a relatively shared open source spec, then it would make everybody's life easier because the, what we expect of a beacon could become more predictable. Okay. And by the way, you can use this, um, you can use this specifically to program your device to act well with Android because we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of thinking just like Apple did a lot of thinking about what they prefer a spec to be. Here's a lot of thinking that's gone into a spec that's not proprietary and hasn't been, you know, patent protected by Apple or whatever they've done. Yeah. So is this a specification that is kind of at odds with the iBeacon spec or are they ultimately compatible? Like, well, if, if I was a device manufacturer and I wanted to put out some sort of beacon device, would I essentially have to talk two languages then? You know, one for Apple, one for everyone else who speaks alt beacon? Yeah, not really, because at the end of the day, it's still a Bluetooth spec. Yeah, so at, at, in the... This is it kind of gets a little complicated, but the idea is that a single beacon should talk to all devices. And a lot of it has to do with, well, what are you calling it? And which specification is your flavor? Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that also gives us a good um, 
segue point into the different types of beacons that are out there. And I mean, you mentioned Radius who makes some stuff. You can have software beacons and hardware beacons. So can you speak to some of the variety that's out there and what the options are? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, about uh, software beacons, especially for developers. So if so, when we're doing development, you know, you're developing an iOS app and you've got your simulator, right? To as you're as you're writing the code with beacons for developer, one of the problems is you can't actually use the simulator because you got to be able to detect the beacon. Hmm. So you're using your actual phone, and then the other next problem is okay. Well, I've got my beacon, and I want to test whether it's triggering an interaction. So we had so we had. I mean, there was a period in the very early days where the way you were testing it was you were friggin' walking up and down the hallway. <laughs> all it's, you know. So you got a lot of exercise when you were developing for beacons because the only way to test if the interaction was happening was to walk down the hall and then come back. Hmm. So uh, actually Radius uh, Radius um, created what's called a, a, like a virtual beacon or a Mac beacon. And it turns your, it turns your laptop into or laptop or computer into a beacon and you just turn it on and off and it's just a little button, which is kind of cool. So that's a, that's a software beacon. Uh, then there's beacons, battery powered beacons. Um, we're now, I would call it, call it generation two. The batteries last a couple of years. When beacons first came out, if you could get them to last six months, it was pretty good <laughs> because they hadn't quite perfected the firmware, right? So you would have to be changing the batteries every six months. Now they've improved and we're in generation two. So those are battery powered beacons, Estimote. Uh, contact, uh, accents. There's a bunch of them out there. At the end of the day, they're all running off of Texas Instruments or Nordic. Really, they're all running off the same chips. So those are the battery-powered ones. And then you have USB beacons. There's a bunch of them. There's one in, out of China called Passkit. Really great beacon, great SDK. Um, and it's a USB beacon. And that would be great if you think of a store you could put the usb beacon in the cache register in a usb port let's say in a cache register you could plug it into the wall now next generation beacons um pro let's say nine to twelve months out we'll start seeing energy harvesting so those are beacons that will use electromagnetic uh, fields and ambient light and fluorescent lights and vibration to power themselves then that'll be pretty cool. Hmm. And then the next thing we're seeing is what I'll call hub and spoke models, where you have the beacons themselves, and then you have a little mini server, just a tiny little, like little server that connects to the web. And then you use the mini server to manage your fleet of beacons. So let's say I have a store with 20 beacons, I can have a little server, the server monitors for battery, maybe swipes out the UUIDs every once in a while, like the ID numbers to make them secure. Um, so that's kind of the next generation. And then the other thing to mention is that some of the beacons that are on the market aren't just beacons, but they've got other chips in them as well. So Estimote, which is one of the kind of leaders, especially in terms of market awareness, has a gyroscope and it has a temperature detector and so you've got other sensors being built into these beacons, and that's going to create some interesting use cases, I think. 
And I also wanted to just mention um, kind of back to the, the beginning of that topic where we were talking about how you can easily turn your Mac into a beacon. Um, it, you can also turn any any iOS device, you know, basically, I think it's from the iPhone 4S on with a couple lines of code, you can turn into a beacon as well. So if you're a developer who has a couple devices sitting around, you can easily turn one of them into a beacon. Yeah, nice. and, and, and not just for testing, right? But imagine, exactly. like, imagine what happens if you turn your your device as a beacon at a I don't know a conference. So I have an app, let's say at a conference, and I I'm broadcasting as a beacon. People can say, "Hey, where's Doug?" Oh, I'm I could see that he's over, you know, he's fifty meters away. So you can get into or or a sales associate in a store with an iPad that could be a beacon. Exactly. Or I'm, it probably has a lot to do with the kind of work I do in my day job. But I think of it as also there's a lot of uh, businesses who have tablet point of sales at this point. So yes, that, that point of sale could also be a beacon. And then you could know when customers enter the store and vice versa. So it's I think that side of it is definitely pretty powerful. Yeah, I think it's very cool. Hey, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun is an essential tool for every developer, helping you detect and diagnose your errors in real time so your team can fix bugs faster. Just a few lines of code is all it takes to get started, and you'll be amazed how quickly you start receiving reports from all of your apps. Why wait for frustrated users to notify you when they hit a bug, and then spend your time digging through log files? Raygun notifies you immediately and with all the information you need. Raygun keeps everyone informed, so whether you have 1 or 100 developers, you'll get everything you need to become an awesome development team. Start your free trial today at raygun.io and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. So aside from, I and mean, you mentioned the like things like the gyroscope and other t- sort of sensors that come with them, what are the advantages of going with uh, some of these hardware manufacturers over you know, using uh, an existing iOS device or something a lot simpler? Like, What do they give you? Oh, that's a good question. Are you talking about for development or deployment? Uh, for both, really. Yeah, we get this question all the time. Like, they, we either get the question, which beacon do I buy? And does the beacon come with coupons? <laughs> right? Like, because I think there's some, miscon- there's some misconceptions around what the beacon actually does. So your choice of beacon is really about what's your use case. Where do you want the beacon to sit? So your example of, well, I actually want the beacon to sit at cache. Okay, well, then turn your iPad into a beacon. But do I want to put beacons in a park? Right? We've actually seen there's a company, and I think it's, um, I want to say Michigan, but I think that's wrong. But there's a company called Gelo. Gelo makes a really sturdy, waterproof, it'll survive a Canadian winter kind of beacon. And it's fantastic for outdoors. So you could put it on a nature trail. You could put it in the parking lot of a hockey rink, put it in, you know, you could even put it underwater if you wanted in in a swimming pool. So you're going to want to choose the right beacon for where you're going to place the beacon. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is what else do you need? Well, I, I can't just buy a beacon and I probably can't just create an app. In most cases, I probably can't just create an app. I got to figure out, do I need to manage the beacon, right? Do I need to um, change the ID number on the beacon once a month just to protect it from spoofing? How am I going to check the power of the beacon? So most of the beacon manufacturers have either 
optional or required cloud services. So Qualcomm, there was a spinoff from Qualcomm called Gimbal, and it's now a separate company. And with Gimbal, you can get the beacons really, really, really cheap, but you got to use the Gimbal platform to manage those beacons. And that's where your costs start to come in, and it's based on user costs and so on. So as a developer, I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to say I could do some really cool stuff with just a beacon. I could get a decent contact beacon or an estimate. I can use the software development kits on Android and Apple, create a cool user experience, good to go. But I mean, maybe if I'm deploying hundreds of them, I'm going to need a beacon management system. And then at some point, I've also got to figure out how am I going to manage content. So I, I keep using the cookie aisle example. I want to send them a coupon. I may want to update that coupon next month to highlight chocolate chip instead of you know oatmeal cookies. So where's that content going to come from and how do you attach that content to a beacon? So then and you also brought up another thing that, that I'm super curious about, which is the the concept of security around these beacons. I mean, these are just these are just Bluetooth advertisements that really anyone can send out. And if you like, let's say that I knew that I wanted to spoof the beacon for a particular store, all you have to do is walk by there with a Bluetooth device and scan whatever it's advertising. And now, you know, okay, well, this is what I need to to replay in order to pretend that I'm this store. How can you approach like solving that problem? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Okay, so there's a bunch of challenges with security. Okay, so first is hijacking. And that's where somebody actually breaks into the firmware and, you know, does something specific, does something to the actual beacon itself. Uh, Beacons, Bluetooth LE was developed to be medical grade. That's actually where it started. Uh, The original premise was that it was a spec to be used in the medical industry. So, so long as you lock your firmware down, it's pretty hard to kind of hijack the beacon. The next is spoofing. And that's where I create a beacon that spoofs the behavior of another beacon. And as you say, in order to do that, you got to figure out the main thing you're spoofing is the ID number. So beacons broadcast a unique ID number. Um, You can't guess what the ID number is, but in theory, you could scan for it. So you've got two ways to deal with that. The first is to secure the beacon so that you need permission to pair with it. So that the so the broadcast of the ID number isn't publicly available, but that's really using core Bluetooth. So you're it's like pairing with a Bluetooth device. Mm-hmm. So it's a little it's not as smooth for the kind of user experience. So the second thing you can do is you can you can rotate your ID numbers, and we've seen that Gimbal does that. They rotate the the beacon through a rapid series of uh, ID numbers, so that if you're scanning chances are that you're scanning a number that won't be valid again in, in five minutes. That makes sense. And I guess that also goes back to some of the advantages of going with these companies that are dedicated to to helping you manage these things so that you don't have to worry about that yourself. Yes, yes. Especially if you're doing larger deployments. And that's, again, that's where this hub and spoke model will really play out. That if you want really secure beacons... Uh, you're really going to need to have some kind of server close to them to kind of monitor the monitor, change the ID numbers much more frequently, monitor them, 
make sure that, I mean, one of my fears with the estimates is that they're such beautiful beacons is that how do you know if somebody's just taken it off the wall and walked away with it, <laughs> right? With a little hub and spoke system, you can ma- monitor whether a beacon's disappeared. We're doing a beacon project in a large public garden uh, in the UK, 300 acre garden. And the, we, we, there's a use case where the biggest fear that we've got is that the squirrels will run away with them. <laughs> so we actually have to certify that the beacons are squirrel and badger proof. <laughs> is there a, an official certification I don't process know. for I that? I guess or? we might be the first in the world. You can uh, publish an open spec for, <laughs> for, for rodent. Yeah, which will be less about the beacon and more about how we stick it to the you know, signs, but yeah. <laughs> so talking about security, that's a, a nice little segue into the idea that these beacons can be used for some sort of payment system. Um, and you're saying that this is a, a highly uh, medical uh, grade security built into this whole protocol. Do you see beacons going in that direction, being used for payment systems? Yeah, I do, actually. I do. Soon. And I would say soon. Um, and the reason for that is that um, you don't need, you'll be able to pay in proximity and not need to be tapping. Because if you, because I, beacons can be secured, and I think you'll have a specific type of beacon. Right? So I could be standing in line at Starbucks and I could be paying 20 feet away while I'm standing in line. Because the beacon could validate that I am the person making the purchase. And so I think they could become a really, really critical part of the payment landscape. So what's that look like for the the user of a device? Take take us through that scenario if you're standing in line at Starbucks. So I, I would, I don't know. That's a good question. So I'm standing in line. The app opens and offers to, you know, gives me a one button payment. You know, so I'm or I'm standing in line, I order my, you know, grande, whatever, and it says, this is $2, would you like to pay? And w- the validation happens at the cash register. You know, so the beacon has detected that I'm there. So it's only allowing me to pay while I'm in the store. So it can't be kind of spoofed outside of the store. And the validation piece is that the staff member gets a little picture of me on their iPad terminal saying this person has paid. And since you, as we've been talking about, the the beacons themselves don't really contain any real data transmission. That would also require, uh, the beacons would just be used for kind of triggering things on both sides then, right? And then that's right. And then each side would then go talk to some central server to, to do Yeah, that's own. right. Just like, yeah, just like NFC does now with talking to the, like, the credit card company or whatever. The beacon is, the beacon could become that kind of authentication of device layer. If the beacon and the device compare, they can basically authenticate. It's basically a way to authenticate the identity. Right. And I know PayPal is actually working on um, something along these lines with uh, what they're actually calling PayPal Beacon, which is yes. uh, Bluetooth LE, you know, yet another thing called Beacon that's in yeah. doing similar things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not sure, but I think everybody's waiting for... There were rumors that the next iPhones would have NFC chips in them. I can't believe it. I don't believe it. I'll see if they do. I don't. I don't buy it. Um, yeah. But I think that people are waiting to see what their mobile payment strategy is going to be. Yeah, that rumor's been there for a few years in a row now, so it's kind of tough to put much stock into it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep, exactly. Yep. 
Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the big the big thing with Apple, I think, is that they have four hundred million. Is it four hundred million iTunes credit cards on file? And isn't that the hardest part with mobile payment? Like, I get a, if I have an app and I have to try to sit there putting my credit card in, for, it just doesn't. It's not a great experience. And they've they're already ahead because your credit card's already on file with Apple. Exactly. And especially with the stuff that they're doing around Touch ID for authentication now. Like, I, I don't see yes. how they wouldn't be planning to take that into some sort of mobile wallet space before too long. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I don't, we don't discount Google. You know, I think um, they may not have lit the world on fire with Google Wallet, but that doesn't mean they're ever going to give up. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. So let's talk about, um, and so we've talked about a lot of the, the security side of things and the, the technical side of things, but it, it sounds like you're, you're actually doing really interesting um, beacon deployments out in the wild. So I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to hear some of your favorite uses of beacons that you've seen so far. The one I, I mean, I, I often refer to this is that there's a beacon deployment in a, in a tulip amusement park in the Netherlands. And I just find that great because whoever heard of a tulip amusement park, <laughs> but it, that's what it is. It's a family attraction. And I like that idea of, of destinations, beacons as part of a destination. I think, you know, uh, Disney spent, I'm told they spent $600 million creating the Magic Kingdom bracelet, mm -hmm. which I think is RFID, but it's that thing that gets basically your pass as you walk around Disney World. So they spent six hundred million dollars, but you know I'm not. I, I think that with beacons you can spend a lot less money to give people a pretty cool experience at a destination. So we, I like I like stuff that's museums and amusement parks and sports stadiums because uh, it can kind of create a digital layer to an experience that often lasts for you know more than more than ten minutes. We're doing some. I mean, I'm not. We're doing some interesting stuff with digital signage. Uh, we're running a, a pilot in October where we'll have uh, an entire city beaconized and connected to the digital signage in that city. Um, and as you walk around, the beacons detect things can happen on your app. But in theory, you can also change the signage as you're walking down the street. And that's where you start to get into potential minority report territory, <laughs> you know. Like, hello, welcome back. Do you need some underwear? It's been six months since you bought underwear. <laughs> and yeah, so that the it'll be interesting to see over the coming years um, that balance between, I call it, don't be too creepy, <laughs> you know, because that's uh, that's one of the challenges, I think, for developers is it's really, really simple technology, but the use case is quite different from developing just for mobile because you're developing for actual physical places. And that's not something that we usually design digitally for. So I actually call, I call it a new art form. I really do believe it's a new art form because where you place the beacon and what, when you, when you trigger the experiences, an example I give is if I go to a coffee shop, put a beacon at the front door if I don't time it the right way, I might be saying, I might be sending a push message that says, happy to see you, but the customer's in the restroom. 
like happy to see you and I'm at the urinal, <laughs> right? So suddenly it's like, oh, I, well, usually I just have to figure out which buttons to put on the screen. Now I got to make sure that I'm not sending messages in the wrong physical location. That's a really interesting case there. And it, it definitely brings up the, it's kind of the reverse of the security things we were talking about before where privacy definitely comes into play. I mean, is it possible right now on either iOS or Android to turn off um, Bluetooth for specific apps? Um, you will be able to with, I think, actually, I might get this wrong, but yes, you'll be you'll have more control in iOS 8. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I can see the same way that you might not want to get push notifications from some really, you know, annoying app. I could easily see you wanting to not do the same thing for, for location awareness or something, too. I think it's been a... Uh, thing that the whole industry worries about that if a couple people get it wrong that people will just shut their bluetooth off right and they never open it again never turn it on again that yeah that could happen i think that apple and android are both apple and google are both high and samsung and everybody's highly motivated to try to get you to keep bluetooth on so they'll either give you more control or they'll keep reminding you don't forget turn bluetooth on for a better experience Makes sense. So then, you know, that's, we talked a little bit about the future then, but to kind of wrap things up, uh, where do you see, like, it, what's your prediction for maybe the next, you know, six to 12 months of beacons? Like, where do you think that they're going to go? And, and where do you think the, the uses are going to, uh, the uses for beacons are going to start emerging to be? Um, first, I think that they'll get more personal, meaning we back to your luggage example. That was a really great example of a use case that doesn't quite work. I've never, it doesn't, doesn't precisely work. And the same with putting a beacon on a child, right? The early examples of those things didn't work really that well, but I think we're getting better at it. And I think as beacons become smaller um, um, and you can attach them to your, you know, attach them to a key ring, attach them to a briefcase, uh, bring them with you to the gym. I think we'll start to see more, per, you know, beacons show up in other ways. And and next, I think beacons will be communicating with the next generation of devices, which is all the watches and wearables. And I think w for wearables to really work, um, I do think that beacons in uh, the world around us make wearables really pretty exciting. I think we'll start to see beacons at home and embedded in devices in the home more than now. So more personal, like we often hear about beacons as being very retail oriented, but I actually think they'll become kind of part of our personal toolkit for how we kind of digitize our, our, the world, world around us. And I also think that we'll start to see really massive deployments. We've heard of pilot stores or Macy's, but I think we'll start hearing of deployments in the hundreds of thousands of beacons being distributed and that that will happen, you know, within the next six to six to 12 months and that beacons will no longer 12 months from now, beacons will no longer be like really sexy and exciting, <laughs> right? Be they'll just become part of the landscape and that they'll start to become attached to all this other stuff that's emerging around health kit and home kit and wearables and the connected home and, We'll forget about by beacon a year from now. It'll just be there something that's just taken as taken for granted. It's what does it allow us to do that people will be talking about? 
It's true. You always know that something's been uh, been somewhat successful when people stop talking about it because they're too busy, you know, actually using it from day to day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's and there's a suite of technologies that are that surround it. I mean, Wi-Fi isn't going anywhere, and Wi-Fi has some really powerful uses for indoor mapping. And so you'll be using Wi-Fi, and you'll be using beacons, and you'll have wearables and uh, the the devices that do the detection will start to change. I still, I think we still think of our world as being governed by a cell phone, but as more and more things become digitized, we'll realize that our experiences of technology have shifted beyond just the phone into our televisions and our thermostats and our fridges and our watches and our glasses. And we'll look back at this time where we were all excited about beacons and say, you know what, that was just the tiniest opening of a gigantic door. And wasn't that quaint? Wasn't that Doug guy <laughs> quaint to be so excited about beacons? <laughs> That's why we call it the gateway drug to the internet of everything. You know, it's just the beginning of this huge transformation that pretty exciting. Well, I'm inclined to agree. So is there is there anything that we missed or do you can you think of anything that we, we didn't cover along the way there? I guess my message would be that the thing that's fun about this, especially if I'm a developer or, you know, we're, we're working with churches and yoga studios and big brands and parks and they hear about iBeacon and they realize, wow, for such a little thing, that can do a lot of really cool stuff. And then the hard part begins, which is really because the thing that's hard about this isn't the technology it's actually thinking about digitizing the physical world. You know, a tree in a park can suddenly become a digital interface. And as you start to explore beacons, you realize that you're not just using a simple technology to create a new mobile app. You're helping to invent a new era in which the physical world is a digital touch point. And that's profound, challenging, and really exciting for people who are adopting beacons and related technologies. I agree. Um, so I think that that makes a, a great point to kind of wrap things up. But thanks so much, Doug, for coming on the show and, and talking iBeacons. My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Gone Mobile. 